Tuesday night, we witnessed history at BMO Field. For the first time in almost two decades, Canada defeated the United States in a senior international soccer game. For the men's team specifically, that wait had been even longer. On Saturday, Toronto FC, they will step onto that very same field, looking to make history of their own as they begin the 2019 MLS Cup playoffs. My name is Mitchell Tierney. You are listening to the Footy Talks podcast, and we will talk about both of those matches in depth today. It's a big episode of the show, so I think it's only right that we bring on one of the show's most beloved reoccurring guests from MLSsoccer.com, among other outlets, James Grossi. Thanks for hopping on during uh, a busy but unquestionably very exciting time. Most beloved? I didn't know that, man. This is uh, breaking news here. That's good to hear. Uh, and uh, as always, it's a, it's a pleasure to come on and talk some footy. And as you said, especially in the midst of a week like the one we're having around these parts. Well, I said one of the most beloved, so don't, oh, get, uh, okay. don't get too excited there. But, um, I, was, no, I certainly, was blushing, I'm blushing. <laughs> certainly uh, always enjoy having you on the show, and uh, you know, especially during a time like this where we have so much to talk about. And I think we'll we'll start with the first game I mentioned there, uh, Canada defeating the United States 2-0, the first time in 34 years in a senior A match that they've defeated the United States. Now, I know there's there's a bit of controversy about that. Uh, I guess not controversy, maybe not the right word, but uh, certainly some of the members um, I heard talking on the Footy, to- the Footy Prime podcast, um, some of the members of, of the, the team that beat the United States in what was a, considered a B international um, during that 34-year window that most people have cited say that, you know, that was basically a USA team. They just used the B team as an excuse. Um, so <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, it's, it's debatable there, but basically it's been a very, very long time since Canada, you know, has, has even looked likely to beat the United States in a senior international match. And um, I, I think the takeaway here from this match was not only did Canada get the 2-0 win and get the, the massive result they needed, but they looked full value for it on the night. Certainly a, a disappointing performance from the United States, but Canada took advantage. I think almost every 50-50 ball was won by a Canadian player. And um, I, I guess mentally and, and emotionally, uh, this has to be massive for this team. I, I know... Herdman kind of described it as as a drop in the the ocean of what he expects from this team. So it's not you know the the be all end all um, r- result, but I think this was a massive one, and I think certainly in terms of the belief in this program, this was proof that they can live up to the heights that everyone's kind of been expecting from them. Yeah, that's my primary takeaway. You know, on the night, a lot of the talk was about the desire and, as you said, their their willingness to to put their bodies on the line in order to win those 50-50 balls and and just playing wanted more uh, than the U.S. did. Uh, you know, Herdman going in was talking about, you know, how will would be the decisive factor in this game and, and Canada went out and, and achieved that. But I think that, that what, what they'll most look to for this game is confidence, you know, um, it's one thing as a team to sort of set goals out in front of yourself and and strive for those goals and have that be your target. But when you actually achieve that goal, when when you set a target, even if it is something that's taken 34 or 25 or, or 10 or however many years it is <laughs> to achieve, when you when you actually do that, it, it can only foster a belief in yourself. And then and then the next time you set another set a new goal in front of you, and I think that's what Herbman meant with the with the one drop in an ocean is that 
you know, this isn't this wasn't the end goal. The end goal wasn't to beat the U.S. and then everyone packs up and, and heads home happy with themselves, pats themselves on the back. This was very much about taking those little steps that you need to take and and the sheer fact of of setting that goal for yourself, achieving it just fosters the belief and the faith that that when you back up your talk with 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 reaching the goal that you set for yourself, it, it can only do good things for this team going forward. Yeah, the end goal for this current period for the Canadian men's national team, of course, is qualifying for that 2020 Qatar World Cup. This match, massive implications for that, certainly, in terms of the ranking points Canada were able to pick up. Of course, it's not, you know, they, they are now probably into that sixth position in CONCACAF, the position they will need to hold um, come the summer when uh, the cutoff for this takes place. But, they, you know, it's not the, it's certainly not like they're guaranteed that spot now. There, there's a lot of work still to be done, but definitely the i think it's something like 17 points they picked up in the rankings for this win that goes a, a long long way and and certainly this was almost must win in in that sense in terms of qualifying for the hex i think they were a little bit ahead of schedule from you know when herdman spoke to us about this in the middle of the of the summer he it sounded a little bit like mission impossible just on the the number of points that they had to make up and and the the paucity of games that they had to make those points up yeah. and you know, early reports are, are saying that they have indeed moved up into six. You know, we'll wait until I think the next release of, of the official numbers is on October 24th. And, and as you said, that's just, that's just a signpost. There's still a lot of football to be played between now and, and when those final June rankings come out, the ones that'll actually determine who makes it into the hex. So, you know, you never want to pat yourself on the back too much, but it, it just in terms of it, of setting goals and achieving them, you know, Canada is, is, uh, perhaps a little bit ahead of schedule in that regard when it comes to getting themselves in the hex. And, you know, we were just talking about it a bit today, but, you know, heading into that game, there was a lot of back and forth about, about ticket sales and why people aren't, aren't engaged with this team and why they're not excited by some of the players that are coming onto the scene. And, and, you know, I think we saw on the night, if not, if not, uh, if not perhaps at the stadium as much as we would have liked to, but at least in, in the coverage afterward that this was a team that, that deserves your attention. And if you make that hex and you have 10 more massive games against the class of the conference, that can only sort of provide more of those little signposts along the way for the team to set goals and to achieve them and just build this momentum that, uh, you know, I think is very much a characteristic of Herdman's uh, style. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's in a lot of ways the the conversation kind of changed after that match, and you know one of them was certainly there was the tickets and the lack of availability of this game in in terms of traditional platforms. But one thing I noticed and you know was was a big shift from the normal was there was less anger directed at one soccer and at Canada soccer in terms of the availability from this game. I know there's been a lot of fans frustrated in the past about the, the fact that these games aren't on, aren't on big networks, but there was kind of an understanding there that the, the big networks haven't been, um, haven't always been the best partners for Canadian soccer. Certainly. Um, I know Dwayne Rollins has, has made some pretty great points about this on Twitter. The fact that they were essentially ad buys when Canada put games on these major networks and Canada was actually paying for, for them to be funded. And now, you know, one soccer has come in and, and, made you know it a much better deal for Canada soccer so that's why they've gone with those but the anger was actually directed at TSN and Sportsnet for not showing these games and I think that 
that's kind of a, a shift in mentality that, that's important here. And, and you know, we'll certainly make those broadcasters think a little bit more about showing these games in the future, as you said, especially if they get to, to the hex and they have all sorts of massive World Cup qualifiers going on. You'd think uh, one of those those channels would be very interested in picking those up. But um, let's talk a bit more about the, you know, the tactical side of this game, because um it, it was interesting from John Herdman. Certainly, I know when I saw the starting eleven, it was it was it took me a second to kind of figure it out. I mean, it was a pretty um, I don't want to say a basic four four two, but considering how much we've seen Canada play four three three in the John Herdman era, it, it took me a little bit to figure out exactly where everyone was playing. And then certainly when Mark Anthony K went off injured early in the game, and they decided to replace him with Liam Fraser on his first caps, who who we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, to stick with that system, it was also surprising. Uh, the double substitutions of strikers late in the game were were shocking, or not not necessarily shocking, but were <laughs> kind of surprising as well. Um, all of it worked out uh, almost almost perfectly. And yeah, so what for you were some of those keys to to the victory for Canada? Uh, I think uh, you know when we when we finally saw the eleven out there, as much as we were all sort of scrambling to figure out exactly what it looked like, I, I have to say I wasn't exactly surprised. We had uh, we'd gotten a, a slight inkling that this was this was possibly on the cards, and I was even having a conversation in uh, in at BMO Field the day before the game with a couple of guys of, of you know would this be a four two two two? Would it have that boxy sort of midfield shape, and, and would that be what what Herdman was going for, and it it looked a little bit like what he did against Mexico in the Gold Cup. So it's not it's not straight out of left field, and it it just I think the fascinating thing about it, and this touches on the, that double substitution in in the 60th minute, was that I think Alfonso and Jonathan David were out there basically just to run everything down, to not let either Michael Bradley or the U.S. backline build up any momentum heading into their forward movements. You know the the best the best attacks that the U.S. was able to launch were really quick counters that sort of just basically were comprised of getting the ball to Pulisic, getting that early release ball to Pulisic and letting him charge up field and see what he could make happen. And, you know, in the days before the game, Herdman had, had sort of uh, alluded to Burhalter's U.S. side as as being a well-oiled machine, which, uh, which was a, a line that caught a lot of flack south of the border, given how they're feeling about their team right now. But in a sense, he, he was sort of right. If you if you give Michael Bradley the time to to pick his passes and orchestrate how that team is going to play, then they just look much more assured of themselves and and, and are much more capable of, of imposing themselves on a game. And, and the way that Canada went about that with you know Scott Arfield and Jonathan Osorio sort of buzzing around in that midfield and willing to put in as much defensive work as they did going forward and. Davies and David sort of running everything down and closing everything down. And then, you know, two destroyers in, in, uh, in Liam Fraser and Sam Piet, who, who I think we haven't talked enough about how spectacular Piet was on that night. And, uh, you know, it, it sort of wore down the Americans and it didn't let them, it, it never let them get comfortable from that first whistle. You know, there were a couple of, of heavy tackles and a couple of, of wild moments in that first minute. And, the U.S. were just never able to settle into a rhythm, and I think that was very much uh, the plan right from the off. Yeah, it certainly was. And you mentioned Christian Pulisic, who was kind of the player that most people had certainly circled on the lineup sheet from the United States as their main danger man. And I, I really do think it's it's definitely helpful for Canada that in the lead up to these games, they get to 
you know, in, in training, they get to play consistently against Pulisic type players. I mean, you've got Davies and David that uh, as defenders, you're going up against every day. And, you know, in the past, maybe they didn't have that kind of offensive quality in training that they got to test themselves against. But now they're getting sharp all week against players that are, uh, you know, of a similar caliber to to the main attackers they're going to be going up against. And obviously Pulisic was, was sick on the day, was pulled off early and, and didn't live up to I guess what was expected of him, but he, he, you know, Canada really stifled him as they did with the rest of the U S attack. And uh, I do think it is helpful that they, they have so much more quality on, on their side now that, you know, they get to, to test themselves against um, for, for John Herdman. Certainly there's been uh, a reasonable amount of criticism of him coming out of the gold cup. Certainly even before that there, there hasn't always been that level of belief in, in what he's, you know, th- that his words will, match his actions or his team's actions on the field um obviously getting at almost everything right as we said in this match what, what does this win mean for him as the canadian men's national team coach because um you know as we've mentioned uh, multiple times this was one of the bigger wins that canada's had in you know decades i think heading in there were a couple of questions about about exactly what it was that herdman was trying to do with this team you know we saw as much as this past year has been been fascinating, what well, with the Concacaf Nations League qualification and then the Concacaf Nations League itself, which is a, a mouthful, I'm, I'm exhausted just typing that out <laughs> every time I have to. But uh, you know, between playing French Guiana or playing Martinique or, or whoever they met earlier in the Gold Cup, the only two real tests that we'd seen Herdman have was against Mexico and against Haiti. And against Mexico, he 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 opted to sort of give the game away is not really the right way of looking at it. He opted to to be coy about things. He didn't want to line up his best 11 against their best 11. He thought that, you know, if he, if he outsmarted them, if he outwitted them, then maybe Canada could get something out of it. And I sort of half was thinking that he was, he was eyeing a, a semifinal matchup with the Mexicans and he didn't want to show all of his cards any earlier than he had to. And, and, you know, in some sense, that's not, it's not a bad idea. Uh, to go out there and sort of maybe play possum a little bit in the group stage and therefore give yourselves a better chance to get to the knockout round and, and do some damage there. But then, you know, we get to that Haiti match and Canada sort of has, has as good of a first half as you can want and as bad of a second half as you can fear. And, and so those were the two sort of real tests that we'd seen under Herdman. And, you know, as much as they were both, uh, interesting interesting matches and good places to pick up lessons uh, for a team under a new coach they were both also disappointments in a way and and so mm-hmm. to go into this third game this this next game against a real opponent somewhere where you're expected to be challenged and sort of just play all the right moves and and, and show yourself to not be you know i guess one of the ongoing debates in, in football management is sort of do you you know do you devise a system to figure players or do you figure players around the system that you want? And, and having that flexibility to not only, to not only have a preferred system, which is the four, three, three, we all think at least, um, <laughs> but, but to not be so rigid in it that it becomes a detriment. And you can, you can sort of look, you know, I'm not as familiar with what's going on with the U S, but it, it seems to be that, you know, Greg Berhalter is catching a lot of flack for being too wedded to his way of playing. If maybe. Right. The pieces aren't there and the results aren't going to be there. And, you know, the the game is all about sort of 
both both having a way that you want to go about things, but also recognizing that sometimes you have to throw that out the window and, and come up with a with a plan based on the opponent in the situation. And and I, I think we saw a pretty good example of that on uh, Tuesday night. You mentioned the pieces not being there, and I think looking ahead to November fifteenth, that's kind of uh, which is of course the second leg of this, uh, if you want to consider it like that, in in Orlando. Um, certainly the U.S. looked like they played a, a system that was reliant on having a player like Tyler Adams without having a player like Tyler Adams there. Um, we expect probably Tyler Adams will be back. Josie Altador uh, missed this camp, obviously, with injury. Uh, he could be a big piece. Miles Robinson wasn't there as well. Um, at the same time for Canada, they're missing Daniil, of course. Mark Anthony K got injured. They keep mentioning Atiba, so I think you'd have to think he's still at least sort of in the conversation as well. But uh, I think certainly looking ahead to that match in November, the United States are going to have you know a lot more reason to be fully motivated for that. They certainly won't want to lose again to Canada after you know kind of the the embarrassment that it's been in their media and their soccer circles after this. So I think you know as as tough of a test as as this past game was i think that the next one might be even tougher um what are you thinking going into that one uh i think i think you make the the two players that i'd, I'd circle in on there specifically are tyler adams and josie Alper. i think if if either or both of those guys are playing on tuesday night then we're looking at a very very different game i think you know tyler gives you that midfield energy that that you know weston mckinney was was doing good work out there but it, it, he could only cover so much ground. And I think if you have two of those guys in there, then, then it, that game looks, looks a lot different. And, and up top, if you have Josie Altador up there, somebody who can hold up play a little bit more and get other people involved, that was, that was one of the things that was really lacking from the Americans aside from, from Jordan Morris sort of squaring over to Pulisic. It was, it was a lot of Pulisic just doing his own thing and, and Josh Sargent sort of, not really getting involved in the game as much as you would have liked to have seen. So, you know, I think between the potential of those two guys going back and, and the U.S. wanting absolutely nothing to do with getting beaten at home by a team that already embarrassed them, it's uh, it's going to be a, a pretty spicy one. I, I think they will not have been pleased, so uh, this one should be fun. Let's talk about the implications of this game for Toronto FC because there certainly were a couple of them not, you know, the, the, the most... Pressing, of course, being the performance of Liam Frazier in his first international cap. I think there was, uh, I was sitting in the supporters section, I think there was some genuine surprise when, you know, it was Liam Frazier pulling off his, his substitute bib to to come on the field after the Mark Anthony K injury. But, um, you know, I guess I guess with the exception of when he scythed down an American player and, and got a yellow card, um, you know, I, I certainly wasn't concerned again during the match that he was going to get a second yellow. So big performance from there. And of course, his distribution is, you know, is is really class for, um, you know, for basically any level. The way he was able to, to ping the ball around the field uh, to keep his composure throughout that game was incredible. And of course, it's it sparked a bit of debate with with Michael Bradley's con contract situation and and you know the i guess the valuation of him going forward um and the lack of playing time that liam frazier has gotten this year what we see going forward what did you make of that match and and kind of what it leads going into that debate going forward it's uh it's always so dangerous to to make a really big sweeping call like Toronto doesn't need Michael Bradley because Liam <laughs> Frazier had a really good game in his first cap, you know, like yeah. it's, it's such a, 
it's such a hard decision to make. You know, I, I've been watching Liam play for years and I, I love so many things about his game, but you know, even in, in that match on Tuesday when, when he was spectacular, there were still a lot of, a lot of balls that he maybe tried to force that, you know, didn't end up proving costly, but were, were the sort of thing that over a 34 game season can, can really do damage to you. So I, I think we're in that, we're in that weird gray area where you want a guy to be getting minutes. You want him to be getting games, but. I think this is one of the biggest problems that TFC has with a lot of their young players. You know, Jay Chapman's another example. Iowa Canola is another example. It's Mm -hmm. how do you get those guys the minutes that they need to be ready to step into those roles without detracting from what you need to put in, put out there every single day. And I think that's just the balancing act that, that we sort of have to, uh, you, you have to navigate it in this business is that, you know, if, if, if Liam Frazier starting 34 games means that TFC does not make the playoffs, is that what fans want? You know, like I, it's it's one of those catch 22s where where you want the long term achievement, but sometimes to do that you have to sacrifice the short term one. And and I've seen enough of Liam to play to know that that on his night he is as good as anybody in that part of the pitch. But I've also seen enough to know that that he still has a lot of growth to do before he's Michael Bradley level of consistency. And so it's one of those, uh, it's one of those ones where it's, it's very much in the eye of the beholder in terms of what sounds great right now might not sound so great 10 weeks into the season. It's, uh, it's tough. I, I don't envy Greg Vanny of, of having to make these kind of decisions because they're, they're difficult ones to make. You have, you have the potential of a guy like Liam who, who's done pretty much everything right and set every met every goal that you've set in front of him. But then you mm-hmm. have a guy like Michael Bradley, who's been, who's been a, a lot to this team over the past five years. And I think you, uh, you make these big decisions carefully because the, the implications of them can be huge. And uh, just as a little, as a little fun fact, we, uh, we spoke to Michael Bradley today up at the training ground ahead of uh, Toronto's game against DC and, you know, he was asked the question about this potentially being his uh, his final match at BMO Field, and you know, without giving too much away, because it, it wasn't my question, was uh, <laughs> he seemed to think that uh, that he had many more games at BMO Field in his future. So take that for what it means, but uh, I guess we'll find out sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think uh, I think in some ways the. Uh, I don't know if water carrier is the right word, but those workman-like players like Michael Bradley, like Marky Delgado, um, they on paper they seem so replaceable. And when you watch the game, maybe they don't stand out in in the big way that you know your strikers or, or all of your attacking players do. But you know, take them out of the out of the lineup at your own peril and try to replace them at you know your own peril because uh, they're so important to to the team. And obviously, you know, Michael Bradley's been as important to to anyone in Toronto FC history, um, or as anyone in Toronto FC history certainly. So, um, I you know, it's it's always fun to have that sort of debate. But I definitely agree. I think uh, I think at this point, certainly. Um, Liam has a, has a long way to go before um, you know he can match what what Michael Bradley can do. While at the same time, you know it would be great to see him get more minutes, and it, it will be fascinating to see, especially after a performance like that, and um, you know more more and more outcry from from the fan base 
what things are going forward for Liam Frazier. Um, the other Toronto FC player who was outstanding on the day was Jonathan Osorio. And I think going into the playoffs and uh, again, it's been a, you know, th- there's been ups and downs this season for Osorio. Uh, certainly he's had some injury issues as well and some fitness problems that um, especially in the early part of the season held him down. But I think this was another example of him just being one of those players who in the most important games of any season can step up in a big way. And, you know, he was fantastic. I thought, yeah, John is a, uh, John is a, he's a real fascinating character to sort of, to watch do his thing. You know, he's a guy, he's a guy who, who puts so much pressure on himself that, that when the spotlight is on him and he's, and he's buzzing, then, then he, he just thrives under it. He's one of those guys that the more you pile on, the more you ask of him, the more it, it seems to, to fit him nicely. You know, I, uh, I caught up with him a couple of days before the game and, and, uh, you know, he just looked at ease. He looked comfortable in his skin and, and it, it would be easy to go into this match and know what's at stake and sort of let, you know, let the nerves come in and the butterflies and you're representing your nation at your home team stadium. And, you know, you're going to be the guy in the middle of the park forced to go against Michael Bradley and, and the rest of the Americans there. And, and John just rose to the challenge and. You know, I, I think one of the things that we forget a lot about him is just how much defensive work he does. I, I mentioned it earlier, but between him and Arfield, they were just they were endless in that game. They mm-hmm. covered every every blade of grass and and were not shy about getting back on the defensive end and chipping in there. And so, you know, for a guy who has had a tough season, had some injury woes, and and sort of had to fight his way back into the TFC eleven. Uh, that was a big night for him, and, and you know we spoke to him today as well too, and and uh, he's he's looking forward to the playoffs being at BMO again. We mentioned it earlier in the show, the missing man in this match, Josie Altador. Uh, of course, he's the the main headline going into um, the the game against DC United. What's the latest on Josie, and and you know what we can expect in terms of his usage uh, on the weekend? Yeah, it's it's. <sighs> You know, when you get to the playoffs, you're lucky if you even know, like, is it upper body or lower body? Like, what exactly is going on? So, you know, the latest reports are it's sort of day to day and they're keeping an eye on him. And, and, uh, you know, they'll see, they'll see what happens come game time. It sounds like it might be a game time decision. Uh, we were doing our Josie Altador watch at training today and, and we didn't see him out there with the first team, but uh, he's he's doing what he has to do separately. That's sort of pretty standard practice up there at TFC where they'll be working through their sprints and they'll be working on what it is that they have to work mm-hmm. on. And so, you know, I don't know. It's uh, If he can't play any part, then that's a massive loss, you know, just like it was yeah. for the U.S. He's he's just such a presence, whether he's on the pitch or he's on the bench, he's he's just such a such – a, uh, a useful piece for the team in the sense of, I always go back to something that Michael Bradley said about Josie once. And that was, you know, when you're lined up in that tunnel and you're, you're facing off against the other team, there was nobody that Michael would rather have, have at his side than Josie Altador because mm-hmm. he just, he just gives you that confidence. He's just relaxed and, and he's, he's relaxed in a serious way. He's a, he's a fascinating character. I wish we got to see a little bit more of, of his personality come out sometimes, but, if if even if he can just be on the bench and be available for for 20 minutes, 30 minutes or whatever, I think that gives the lift to the team. And and that said, his absence, were that to be the case, would give a lift to the opponent because it's one less guy that you have to worry about. But you know, this Toronto team, 
I think if we were to go back, you know, two months from now, we'd be the loss of Altador would be a potentially devastating blow. You know, this yeah. was a team where where Josie was very much the focal point of the attack, and and a lot of the good things they were doing were coming through him, especially when Pozuelo had his dry spell in the middle of the season. But I think in recent weeks, you know, Josie had a had a knock earlier, and he hadn't scored in a couple of matches. And I think this is a team that's that sort of found themselves away from that reliance on Josie. And so, you know, while it wouldn't be ideal, I I wouldn't rule this team out at the same time. Yeah, I think the the concern for me with that just mostly centers around the fact that Josie's one of the only game breakers on this team in in a sense. I mean, you know, when you look at the 2017 team, you had Javinko, Vasquez, even a guy like Ricketts coming off the bench. I mean, you had these players that could get you the goal you needed, and Josie's been, you know, far and away the most important player in that sense for Toronto FC in their, their club history. So if, if you don't have him, you know, it's... It, they they have a they've shown that they have a ton of balance scoring but in the big moments you know sometimes it takes that one player to to take a stranglehold on the game and i don't know that necessarily they have that same selection of players as they have in the past yeah no definitely i think i think regardless of what happens in this offseason getting some additional scoring a, a secondary scoring threat is very much going to be on the cards and one of the funnier things is that you know, between Gallardo and Benize, I don't think we've really seen the best of what either one of them can offer. You know, part of that's mm-hmm. coming in in the summer window and, and having, you know, a, a relatively small run of matches and both of them picking up knocks and, and working your way into a team. And, you know, it's possible that Benize, I don't think Gallardo is, is that kind of a goal scorer. I don't think he's going to bag you 10 in a season. I think he's more of a, of a piece, whereas Benize might just be that guy. And, and I think for a, for long stretches of this season, teams have been able to key in on Pozuelo in a way that that uh, have sort of negated some of his ability to be one of those game breakers. And I think if you get that that third kind of heat, you know, maybe it mm-hmm. maybe it creates a little bit more space for Pozuelo. And you know, keep in mind he's playing what is the 80th game of the last 14 yeah. months or something <laughs> ridiculous like that. So I, it's funny. Like I have no idea what to think of this team. I think they could go and win MLS cup or they could get bounced on the weekend and either mm-hmm. one would make perfect sense with the way things are. But I, I also think that, that we have no idea exactly, even if the team does not undergo significant changes in the off season, which I suspect they won't be doing a ton of changing. Um, we we really don't know what this team will look like over the course of a 34 game season because this year has just been about you know building as they went along and, and trying to find a way to get through it and, and reach the playoffs and so you know now we're here and and we'll find out what happens on the weekend. Yeah, speaking of the weekend, of course, um, Toronto FC will go in as the favorites with with the home field advantage, with the fact that DC United, you know pretty poor towards the end of the season obviously that final day draw with Cincinnati that really can't be much of a confidence boost you've got Rooney dealing with some weird situations with the the whole Rebecca Vardy thing I uh, you know wait, you've wait, got what what happened I didn't hear about this. you didn't hear about this no I'm kidding of course okay all right, all right, all right. I, was, <laughs> I was stunned I was like yeah. all right but yeah so anyway that's going on um I, yeah I was shocked that that you wouldn't have heard about it but uh Acosta seems to have uh 
checked out a little bit as well as he potentially looks for other clubs. So, you know, DC not coming in in the best form with with that being said you know they're one of the best defensive teams in mls and in one game playoffs it can often be we've seen this at the world cup we see this at a lot of different tournaments with you know one game um you know one game knockouts it, it does sometimes kind of benefit the defensive team and uh there there certainly is not a ton of impetus for them to to come in and attack Toronto FC. So um, that I think that does make this game far more interesting than I, I think you know some people are are making it out to be, considering what's happened of late for these two sides. Oh, and you forgot about our old friend Felipe is coming back to town. Which <laughs> anytime he's involved, it's, always, it's sure to be a sure to be a fun one. That's that's for sure. Um, no, I, I think that's really the point. That, that's been one of the things I've been looking at and into this postseason is how does this, the fact that it's a one-off game instead of the, the two-legged series, how does that change things? And, you know, over over two legs, you can generally be assured that, that the more quality team is going gonna, is gonna to emerge. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that's not 100% true, but you're less, it's less left up to chance. You know, it's less left up to uh, a penalty kick or a, uh, a red card or something, something bad that happens in a game that, that you can't overcome. You know, Greg Benny made this very point when we were speaking to him last week was just sort of, if you go back to, to that TFC Montreal series in, in 2016, TFC goes down three nothing in the first half. They claw back two in the second half, but I don't know if you can come back from a three nail hole in a, in a one off yeah. final. It's, it's sort of every every little bit of play becomes that much more important. The, the intensity, the the focus that it's going to require, the the attention to detail is just going to be ramped up that little bit. And there there are two ways that this can go. You know, we're either going to get these really sort of cautious, close matches where nobody wants to make a mistake because that mistake means that they only have X number of minutes left to get it back, mm-hmm. or we're going to see teams that sort of leave it all out there and, and go for it right from the start. And, you know, this Toronto DC one is fascinating because as you said, DC is a very, very solid defensive team. You know, we saw that when they came to town earlier this year and TFC unleashed like a million bajillion shots <laughs> on goal and, and DC emerged with a nil nil draw. And, and in the second leg, it was, you know, one, one and TFC were, were seconds away from a win. And then bar comes into play and a bit of a, bit of a rash hold that, uh, on a corner kick and, and all of a sudden you give a chance to the referee to get involved and, and that negates all the good work you did for 89 minutes. And I think that's one of the fascinating things that nobody is talking about yet, but you can be sure that if anything comes out of bar in this postseason, <laughs> it is going to be absolutely mental in that people will be furious about it. And, and over the course of a season, you can say, okay, it, it went against us this week. Maybe it went for us this week, but. When everything's on the line and when your season is over or something goes against you, I'm, I'm fascinated to see just how, how involved that's going to be, uh, come game time. I was going to say, I'm so excited to see what one game knockout VAR looks like. And, uh, considering how controversial some of the decisions have been this season, what, uh, looks like when the magnifying glass is even more so on them. So that's one other wrinkle that, uh, like you said, with, with these games that can be decided by, you know, one factor versus the the two legged ties, uh, stuff like that's going to be only brought up more. So that'll be intriguing to watch. Um, 
what are the keys do you think going into this game for Toronto FC against DC? Because um, like, I think we both mentioned, we somewhat expect them to play defensively, of course um, who, who knows, but uh, you know, if you don't have Josie there, if you do have Josie there, I think there's, uh, there's a lot of interesting things going into this game for sure. I think, I think the one thing that, that Toronto has to do, and this, this sounds a little bit, a little bit more uh, disrespectful for the rest of the team than I mean it to is, is, you just have to take Wayne Rooney out of the game. He, he can't be a factor in this one. And mm-hmm. and I don't just mean on the score sheet. Like even Vanny made the point of, you know, Wayne just needs one look, whether it be from 65 yards or not, in order to, to find the back of the net. But what I mean is more sort of you don't want him to be the emotional spirit of that yeah. team. You don't want him to be the driving force of them. Even if he's not getting involved in the attack, you don't want him to be – the the guy that's urging them on you want him to be as quiet in this game as possible and that that sort of will rob dc of that of of what's been a a huge part of whatever forward momentum they've had over these past couple of seasons with him there and and i think the point was made today i I think it was michael bradley who made it was that you know if, if this is to be wayne's last game in mls DC are going to be playing with that in the back of their mind, and they're not going to mm. want this to have ended on a on a bad note the way that it could if they were to be knocked out. So, I think if you're Toronto, you just want to make this as quiet of a game for Wayne as possible. You don't want him to touch the ball. Basically, you don't want him to be involved in the tackle. You want him to be a silent passenger in this game, and that that sort of robs DC of a lot of of a lot of that that fighting spirit and granted with Felipe there, there will obviously be some <laughs> fighting spirit, but, but I mean, uh, the, the less Wayne is involved in any aspect of this game, the better off it is for TFC. I'm not going to lie. I somewhat forgot that, uh, Felipe would be involved in this tie and, uh, you know, we've listed a lot of reasons to get excited about this game, but that adds a, adds another one for me. Certainly, probably probably not on Toronto FC's players list of things they're excited <laughs> about going into this game. But uh, for for me, as uh, uh, you know, an observer, definitely Felipe always adds just a, a little bit of spice to to the equation. Um, yeah, one has to one has to always look over their shoulder and be fully aware of where yeah. Felipe is, regardless <laughs> of uh, of what club he's playing for or what time of year it is. You just you got to keep an eye on him. You know? Yeah, definitely. And uh, as I said, I will most definitely be doing that uh, come Saturday. Uh, before we wrap up this show, I did want to talk about what's next on on the radar for Canada soccer, and that, of course, being the Under Seventeen World Cup that. Starts on October 26th for Canada as they're taking on the host from Brazil in what will be undoubtedly an incredibly difficult test. They also have Angola and New Zealand in their group as well. They're looking for both uh, their first win and, um, you know, the first knockout stage appearance they've ever had as a result at the U-17 World Cup. I saw uh, video or at least pictures of, of the team watching that game against the United States. And there's one of the, I guess, one of the instant knock-on effects is that must have given that group such incredible confidence to see what the senior team was was able to do in that game. And I think there's a lot of hope and excitement for this group going into um, going into this this competition because, of course, those are some of the players that come, 20, come 2026 could be involved. And there's some pretty exciting prospects, uh, certainly from Toronto FC, especially, I think, on that team. Yeah, you know, I spoke to I spoke to a couple of those guys uh, last week before they uh, before they headed down to Argentina for this training camp. I spoke to Ralph Preso and I spoke to Jaden Nelson and 
And, you know, they both sort of mentioned that, that even as the teenagers that they are, the fact that, that Canada is hosting a 2026 World Cup is something that's, that's sort of in their minds at the moment. It's not, it's not the first thing that they think about when they wake up in the morning. It's not, it's not one of the, one of the daily goals that they, they put in front of themselves, but it's something that they're very much aware of. And, uh, you know, this is, it's going to be really interesting because, Canadian youth development has has had its ups and downs over the years, and it, it's been more of a. Uh, I think it would be fair to say that it, it's been more of a a function of individuals sort of taking care of themselves than necessarily being produced by a system. If you know what I mm-hmm. mean, like if you look at the De Guzmans, if you look at the De Rosarios, that sort of generation, it was more about guys sort of fighting and scrapping and finding some way to achieve what was a dream for them and and you know whether that involved going to Europe or whether that involved going to the states or or however it was that that came about it, it involved the individual making it happen for themselves and and with this group and with with some of the older groups and and especially with the younger groups what we're really seeing is that that this crop of players these generations of players are are much more uh, a product of the professional setups that are being established in this country you know you look mm-hmm. at we can we can argue about whether it's good or not that most of these players come from either TFC's academy, Montreal's academy, or Vancouver's academy, but that's sort of the lay of the land right now. I know there's uh, yeah. one fellow from uh, from Cavalry there uh, as well, and I'm sure there's a couple from overseas. But we're starting to see we're starting to see the the fruits of the labor that have been put in in professional player development over here and. And they've got a, a pretty interesting draw. You know, they're in Group A alongside Brazil. I think they play their first match against the uh, host nation, which should be a should be a good test for the boys. I think yeah. is the best way of putting it. You know, yeah. in, in in terms of welcoming yourself into a, onto a stage like this, I don't know if it can get any more uh, daunting than playing Brazil <laughs> in, in their home nation. But uh, you know, they had a, a friendly against Argentina a couple of days ago. I think they they lost two one, but all reports it was a a decent enough outing and you know i think i think the thing that that these boys so the the two that i spoke to they they were both excited they were looking forward to it um you know they they did well in the Concacaf in order to earn their spot beating costa rica in a shootout before uh having some trouble with the americans a couple of days later but Mm -hmm. This is really just about exposing them to the next level of play. And I think that's the best thing you can hope for for this team from a Canadian perspective is just getting out there in the world, getting a taste of what, of what this level is like and what the rest of the world has to offer. You know, um, one of my sort of hobbies up at, up at training when we have a, a bit of extra time and there's, there's no pressure is to just sort of pick Greg Benny's brain about about youth development and how all these things are, are coming along and what's best for young players. Is it best for them to be winning games or is it best for them to be struggling struggling on the pitch in terms of the TFC2 context? I was always mm-hmm. unsure and whether it was better to be in USL and be getting you know, beat relatively handily, but, but having to push yourself a little bit more, or is it better to drop down a little bit and play with TFC3 in, in the USSDA where you're beating teams 7 nothing week in and week out? And, so I, I spend a fair bit of time sort of bothering Greg with my unending questions, and he's a uh, he's very big on on that concept of just sending these kids out there to widen the world of soccer that they're exposed to. You know, when you 
when you are an elite player in North America, you tend to be a, a pretty big fish in a very small pond around these parts. And sometimes it's really hard to push yourself to reach that next level when you think you're already there. And, and going down to Brazil, playing the Brazilians in a World Cup uh, is going to be a pretty big pond for these guys. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, Canada is still a small fish. Yeah, that's that's just what I was going to kind of mention is the you know the under 17 level is is such a hard level to project just based on the fact that at that point things like you know being bigger than other players are such big uh you know such big factors and and different things in terms of physical development so it's you know it's pretty tough to know which of these players will go on and even factor in the senior national team um going forward but with that being said if you know there's even one or two of them who get this experience of playing against brazil in their home country uh, that's a massive experience that just adds to their repertoire and and will help them you know in the future when potentially they're you know they're doing the same for canada at at home at a world cup that's you know that's the perfect transferable experience so um i'm pretty excited to see how that team does down there and whether they can become that first uh, Canadian group to to reach the knockout stages at an under-17 World Cup again. Um, like you said, it's it's not always just about the results at this level. It's more about the development. But, um, you know, in, in any tournament, of course, you're hoping that Canada can get some uh, get some big results and coming off one for the senior team. Certainly there's there's more momentum built behind that as well. Uh, but I think we'll we'll wrap up the show there for this week. James, is always uh, an absolute pleasure to have you on. Uh, anytime, Mitchell, anytime. And uh, if you are in Toronto on Saturday, you all can check out Homestand Sports' second EPL Footy Fest. They'll be showing the Manchester United-Liverpool game on the big screen. Christian Jack and Stephen Caldwell will give you pre-game and halftime coverage. And there's a VIP option as well. Head over to homestandsports.com events to RSVP for free. Otherwise, have a good MLS Cup weekend, everyone. <laughs>